Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. If you come here for sympathy this morning, you might be disappointed. If you came here to get help, you're in the right place. So we're going to get started. We're going to get right into the word here. Luke chapter 14, beginning with the first verse. Father, thank you for the privilege of having the sense to show up in church this morning. Having the sense to use our computers for good and to stream in and listen to your word and be encouraged and enlarged. God, we're hungry for you. We expect to meet you in this service. The church says, amen. Amen. Now it happened. Why does he start like that? Because Jesus had been criticizing and denouncing the Pharisees for some time, and they're about to invite him to personal one-on-one, and it required a little, little courage for Jesus to step into this confrontation. So if you've been following Luke, you, you recognize the conflict. But finally, Luke said, now it happened as he went to the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a party that had no distinction. So the language there is signifying that the individual that was holding this feast was actually a member of the Sanhedrin. He was part of the ruling religious elite that had authority over the nation. Well, he went into this house of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath. In the Middle East, today even, but much more so in the past, to eat a meal with someone was a sign of friendship. It's a sign of relationship. That's why they criticized Jesus. Why do you eat with sinners? Because it meant that he had a relationship with them. So in this meal... The Pharisees were pretending to care about Jesus. It was all a put on and it was all a show. But Jesus really loved these Pharisees. And we're going to see this as the narrative unfolds. He loved the Pharisee as much as he did the prostitute. The only difference was the prostitute was typically more open. And because of that, they received him more gladly. But Jesus did not have the pedigree of the Pharisees or what they would expect or what they would like, and he didn't follow some of the traditions that they followed, so he was considered an outsider. But here's something we learn from this narrative that's, that's critically important. We cannot influence those we avoid. The only way Jesus was going to impact the Pharisees was if he accepted this invitation. And I think throughout the course of this, this remaining year, some of you are going to get invitations to places that you really don't want to go. But the Bible says we're to be salt and light, but elsewhere it says the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. And unless the yeast is mixed in with the dough, the the, the lump won't rise. And unless we're mixed in, unless we go to some places that are uncomfortable, unless we we impact, uh, you know, you you say, well, I I just want to be in church all day. No, 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 no. That'd be a terrible waste of time and terrible waste of gifting. Your gift is to be taken into the business world the political world, the educational world. The salt in the shaker profits nothing on the table. 
It's only when the salt gets out. You hear me? So in order for us to have the impact that God wants us to have, as Angie said, we're going to have to move out of our comfort zone into at times uncomfortable and difficult situations in order to properly be a help and an aid to those in need. Well, he was at this meal, and Scripture said they watched him closely. It was a very, very tense meal. Everyone in the room was looking at Jesus, trying to find fault. I've been in rooms like this, very uncomfortable. If you're not careful, it, it, it's easy to let it get under your skin, and you go off on somebody. But Jesus, he, he, he maintained himself, and he handled himself with honor and dignity as everyone in the room was trying to trap him and ensnare him. Verse 2, it says, and behold... Why does it say that? Because it's drawing attention to what's about to happen. Again, as I said, this was a trap. Though Jesus never broke the law of Moses, he fulfilled it all the days of his life. He was known, though, to break the traditions of the rabbinic elders. So what they did, they intentionally invited a sick person to the meal to see what Jesus would do and how he would respond on the Sabbath. Typically, the fights with Jesus was over what he did on the what? Sabbath. So the fact this is a Sabbath and they called him to dinner and this guy shows up is very telling. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had what? Dropsy. We would call this uh, edema today. And and what it is is you have excess liquid, whether it's in your ankles, your stomach, or belly, and there's a swelling uh, going on in your, your body. So... This dropsy was, was, was something that was obvious. It was not, it didn't bring someone with a blood disease or some type of disease if Jesus didn't know. They wanted Jesus to know the person was sick and watch how he handled the situation. And Jesus answered. Now notice, no one answers the question, but Jesus knows the heart and the minds of men. And before they could say anything, he answered. And he spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees. Jesus See, God created the brain, so we shouldn't be impressed that Jesus is is the most brilliant individual that has ever uh, walked the planet. But he knew that if he questioned these these scholars, and they were scholars, these these men came from the Harvards, the Yales, the Princetons. This was the religious elite, the most educated individuals in the entire nation. But he knew that if, if, if he questioned these scholars before the miracle, it would make it more difficult for them to protest afterwards. And in spite, it's important here, in spite of their motivations, Jesus was still trying to reach these men. And actually, he was trying to save them from themselves, saying, I don't want y'all to put a foot in mouth. You know how y'all do. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask you before I do it. When I ask you the question, pay attention to your response so you don't open your mouth after I do what I'm about to do. Jesus was showing some mercy and grace. Jesus wasn't no joke that you should mess with. Jesus was something else when he was in the room. He asked the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, if you weren't there, you might not have caught this. But what he was saying was, listen, guys, speak now or forever hold your peace. The only person in that room with absolute authority, the only one that really could have made a, a binding statement in his humility, instead of making a statement, he could have called down fire. He could have done a lot of different things. He chose a well-timed question. Actually, this is part of the art of parenting. 
It's not always telling your kids what they need to know. It's at the right time asking her or asking him, why are you about to do what you're about to do? And when you ask at the right time, it has a way of pricking the, you understand what I'm saying? One of my sons said, well, I want to go to this school. He thought I was going to pull. I asked him why. And then he answered. And the answer, I asked him another question. He wanted to walk out the room. <laughs> the art of parenting is sometimes just asking the right question at the right time. Just so you know, he said, I want to have fun. Well, my next question was, well, what is fun to you that you got to go so far? (laughs) Pray for my children. (laughs) But they kept silent. Jesus was a bad boy. He hadn't attended the schools they attended, but they understood the crushing power of common sense in this carpenter from Galilee. In the midst of it, everyone's quiet now. It's like, y'all quiet, right? Y'all had nothing to say, right? Okay. So don't say nothing after I do this. So in the midst of their silence, Jesus took control of the situation. It says, and he took him. In other words, he laid hands on him and healed him and let him go. You see, sometimes the miracles in our lives are not just about us. They're also about those watching. This miracle was for the man, but also for the Pharisees that invited him there and watched what Jesus did. It's important that we share our faith with others. Then he answered them. Again, they didn't ask a question, but he heard what was going on in their minds. He answered them saying, these men were his antagonists. These men would eventually become his killers. But Jesus tried to reach them and teach them anyway. It's amazing the person that Jesus Christ is, was, and shall always be. Well, he answered them but by asking another question. He said, which of you... Having a donkey, the earliest manuscripts say a son, or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day. What Jesus was trying to teach these religious hardheads is at times it's, it's not only acceptable, but it's advisable to break a lower law to fulfill a higher law. Imagine if I have a a t-shirt, you know, Jesus saves, and on the front, you know, God is love. And I'm walking down the street, and someone is hit by a car, and they happen to be the third lane in. But I'm standing on the side of the road saying, you know what, it's illegal to jaywalk. What would you think of me? No, a person's hurt. So you step out into the street, even put your life in harm's way to help the person that was just injured. Why? Leviticus says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the higher law. So sometimes in dealing with these issues, people were more concerned about how they look to religious people 
Instead of understanding the spirit of the letter, do you understand what I'm saying here? Imagine if there was someone sick and bleeding in my car, but I was so legalistic, I refused to speed to the hospital and they died. The truth is, if I'm caught speeding and someone's bleeding in the back seat, when the police car pulls me over, they're probably going to lead me with flashing lights to where I need to go. Do you understand? Sometimes our legalism binds the very spirit of the word. And they could not answer him, though he was unschooled, though he was a carpenter by trade. They could not answer him regarding these things. You see, at this time in history, there were two major schools, the school of Hillel and the school of Shammai. And Hillel was a great rabbi. And, and at this time, he had already become super famous. And I, I think he had, he had passed away by this time. Um, but at one point before he became the great rabbi, he was a simple porter, a guy that carried things and delivered things for uh, others. And while he was in, 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 well, they didn't quite have seminary. They did a little different. But while he was in school, there was a lecture that he didn't have enough money to afford to, to go and listen to. So he listened through the window in the evening. And by morning time, uh, when, when the students let out, he was found underneath the snow, partly frozen and almost dead because he wanted to hear what the teachers were saying about Moses. When the students in his class saw him, they immediately resuscitated him. They began to rub him and, and you know, warm him up. And based on the traditions of the elders, that would have been considered work. So uh, the story, you know, everyone had talked about, but the Jewish mind had finally grappled with, with this issue and decided, you know what? That it was worth saving Hillel's life to break even the traditions of the elders. Do you understand? They clearly broke the letter of the rabbinic law, but they fulfilled the spirit of the Mosaic law. And sometimes our traditions and denominations and various things, we, 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 we esteem them and we lift them up so high that we miss the bigger things. And Jesus said it this way. He said, you know, why do you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel? Meaning a gnat was unclean, so, you know, you'd make sure that there was no gnat in, in the grain and, and you're going through all this work to, to get rid of the gnat. But then this big old camel, you, you allow to, to, to breathe and spit on the rest on, on your food. And, and what are you saying? This issue. And sometimes we make certain truths big that should be small. And certain truths small that should be big. And Jesus was addressing this issue. So while these men were struck dumb, Jesus continued to teach. And, 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 and he totally, again, took control of the situation. But, but watch this. And he told a parable to those who were what? Invited. These men had come to observe and to judge Jesus. But Jesus had been making some observations of his own. He had cured the man with the palsy, with, 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 with the swollen body. But now he wanted to heal men and women with the swollen heads. Jesus is saying, yesterday, today, and forever. No one has the capacity to flip the script like God. So they were observing him, but he was observing them. And when he noted how they had chosen the best 
places. Seating was very important in this, this culture as it, as it still is today. And whoever sat closest to the host was typically considered the most honored or the most esteemed in the room. So he told this, this parable saying to them, when you are invited by anyone to a what? Wedding, Wedding feast. This is very, very important. All of us here today are here today by invitation, not by right. You know what? Before there was a universe, God was completely okay with himself. Before there was a star, before there was a moon, before there was a sun, God was at complete peace, complete bliss. The Father loved the Son and the Holy Spirit and wrapped them all and they were one. There was perfect joy. The life of God emanated. God was complete and he was full. Everything that God created was actually unnecessary. Many of us act like we're the center of the universe. But if you really get a revelation of who God is, you'll realize creation was simply an expression of God's mercy and his grace. God said, life is good. You know what, man, this, this love, I, this is good. You know, I want to share it with somebody. He didn't owe it to nobody. He didn't have to give you eyes that you can see, a mind that you can think. He didn't have to give you words that, that amount that you can speak. He didn't have to let you share any of his authority, any of his ability to, for you to, to partake of, of any of his characteristics. But God was complete by himself. It's an act of mercy. Say, so you know what? Jesus, I want to share this with creation. And he made you and I. How many of you would make a planet where they would kill you? There'd be every planet in the solar system but Earth if I was God. But God looked at us, knew what we would do, and said, you're worth it. He didn't have to. He didn't need to. God doesn't need my worship. He's God whether I worship him or not. I need to worship him. Scripture says at this wedding feast, people were invited, meaning that there were cards that went out. People, someone, a special message went to houses. They say, come to my feast. God requested me. God, God special ordered me. God wanted you and me. Why? That's the question. That's the thing. That's why I worship. Why, God? Would you want me knowing what I do, what I'd say? But you want me anyway. That's the mystery of the God. That's the mystery of God. That he could love you and I, call for us, create us knowing who we are in everything we do. He said, when you're invited by anyone to a what? Feast. Millions didn't make it. But I was one of those ones who did. And you know what? No matter what seat I'm in, the front seat or the back seat, I'm just happy to be in. Just happy to be in. When you are invited, do not sit down in the best place. Stop acting so entitled. 
Believe in your own press. So full of yourself. Always pushing yourself forward. God will elevate you in due time. But, but here's the deal. This is why many of you, I, I, I hear a lot, particularly at Grace, I'm tired, Bishop, I'm tired. Just tired. Sometimes I feel like we should call it Tired Church instead of Grace Church. Just tired, Bishop, tired. Here's something I know. If I get in my own strength, what becomes mine, I have to maintain it by my own strength. Of course you're tired. Because everything you do is based on you. Everything you do is based on your own ability, your own strength. Of course you're tired. You got all these balls up in the air. Of course. But here's what I learned. If I let God put me instead of me put me, he can keep me no matter where I am. He'll give me the strength and the grace to manage it if I just let him. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media. 